Hey everyone, my name is Sumble Siddiqui, the mayor of Cambridge. And I'm Alana Mallon, vice mayor, and this is our weekly podcast, Women Are Here. We're here. I'm on day 11. And it's <laughs> nobody's been, counting though. Yeah, who's counting? <laughs> what if every week we get in here, you're like, day 327? You know, no. <laughs> I know it does feel do like a long, no, it feels like a long time since Inauguration Day. Yeah, Inauguration Day. But was it's only been 11 days. January 6th. Yep. And today's, today's January 17th. So mm-hmm. I'm, my math is right. Yeah. So I, uh, it's been very busy. I'm hiring a team and getting things together and it's overwhelming and exciting, but uh, hanging in there. Oh, you look good. Thank you. You look like you're hanging in there. Yeah. That's what I should say. Not like, eating. But. I mean, it's a podcast. Anything could happen, but she's got like a suit on mm. and yep. your hair's brushed <laughs> more than what I could say for myself. Um, well, in all of that, don't forget the fun stuff that you're doing, like picking paint for the mayor's office, hanging with reps Elon and Omar and Ayanna Presley all last weekend during the Congressional Black Caucus fly-in. You moderated a panel with Ayanna and Elon on Sunday. How, what was that like? It was it was amazing. It was amazing. It was really awesome to hear from them uh, and be the, at that venue. And I think a lot of people appreciated them being there. They were over an hour late. Um, they were doing yeah. a lot. Like I was watching everybody on Twitter. I was like, how are they in all of these places all at the same time? I so I was a little bit like anxious just waiting that long was and everybody just staring at you were you just i was stage? in the back i was <laughs> okay. in the back i was just like oh. i just imagine you just being on stage with two empty chairs for an hour <laughs> no hey, everybody i can juggle <laughs> <laughs> that would be awful uh and yeah then i had to stand the whole time and uh so uh, by the end i was it was great meeting seeing meeting ilhan for the first time uh and see i love seeing ayana so it was it was good it was a good sunday oh good well i'm sorry i missed it um, speaking of Ayana, I think we need to take a minute to talk about the video oh, um, yeah. of her yesterday disclosing that she has alopecia and that she's mm-hmm. lost all of her hair. Um, I have to admit that I was at in Elmendorf Bakery waiting for my sandwich and my chocolate chip cookie. Um, just watching the video, I just saw, I knew it was flying through Twitter and I was like, oh, look, there's this video of Ayana. I'll just watch this while I'm waiting. And then I was just like sobbing yep. in the middle of Elmendorf and there were a lot of other people waiting for um their sandwiches so i apologize to teddy and (laughs) brother. um but there were so many moments for me that were so moving um in her story and her struggle especially the part about her losing her like the last bit of her hair the morning that she voted to impeach the president um that she just really didn't have time to mourn the loss of her hair which she talked about the style where she really felt like herself was when she started wearing her senegalese twist braids and how so many little girls on the campaign trail or when she meets them now as a congresswoman that they love that her hair is braided like theirs. And I know through her video she was saying you know, she wanted to be honest about her hair being gone for those little girls. And she said um, she thought about not saying anything, but then she said, I'm not here just to occupy space, but to create space. And I got to admit, that's when I like really lost it. Lost it. Um, and it's just crying about her loss and what she felt was her sense of self, her armor, her power um, being gone. And I guess, you know, for me, what always moves me about her is her honesty and her willingness to be authentic. It's so hard to be in public life at her level, at any level. Um, and for her to be so open about something so personal is it's really moving. But I think it's also creates that space for people who also have alopecia or have lost their hair. or I don't know. I, I just... Shout out to Ayanna. Yeah, she's amazing. Amazing. Um, if you haven't seen the video, um, definitely take a look. She looks beautiful. She looks she does. stunning. Um, but big love, lots of love um, to Ayanna. 
right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was a powerful video, and I'm glad it's being shared widely. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, this week has been rather slow and long. I did do one thing, on, a fun thing on Sun on Wednesday night. That's fun. Yeah, I uh, went to the Celtics, a Celtics game. Uh, only my second one ever, ever. of all time. Uh, and my friend Jenny has taken. This is the second one she took me to. Uh, and I've had it on my calendar for months and months. Then I was like, oh, my God, that's tonight. And I actually got to meet Inez Cantor. Oh, really? Yes. He's so tall, He's right? So tall. <laughs> so attractive. Uh, and we got to see him actually practicing beforehand. Oh, look at you. shooting like his the, the ball. <laughs> the ball. <laughs> the basketball. <laughs> uh, and you could. I, anyway, anyway. Did he get a field goal? <laughs> Yeah. So he was amazing. He was, uh, you know, as maybe some of you know, he was harassed outside the Cambridge Mosque. Oh, right. In October because of his political opposition to Turkey's president. Uh, and so he and I chided about working together for the Muslim t community. And so I, I'm excited to be in touch with him and welcoming him to City Hall. He actually texted me already. And said, I look oh. forward to oh, working You may never you. have time for this podcast again <laughs> with your hobnobbing with I know. E Ilan Omar and <laughs> Ines Cantor. Cantor. He's only 27. I didn't know that. Well, I guess. I mean, they're young guys. They're so young. Yeah. He's just so nice. I was like, oh my God, you're like Does he so live? Great. Where does he live? Brighton. Oh, Brighton. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know where he lives. No, just kidding. <laughs> anyway. You're going for dinner tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Turkish restaurant. Anyway. <laughs> that, um, that was my week. Well, I'm glad you did something fun. We, Speaking of fun, we had our first council meeting yes. of the term on Monday night. And it was so interesting to see the players change after having been there with the same people in the same seats for two years. New faces, new places. I thought you did a great job. How did it uh, feel to chair your first meeting? I'm glad it's over. And I can't <laughs> look forward to... You know, it's going to come with practice, but it, it did feel good. And I, I, I think my mom texted me being like, very nice job. And, you know, that's what matters. Yeah, what my mom thinks. That's really, and she didn't say anything about your lipstick. No, she said I looked good. Good. Yeah. Good. I, had a nice. new, I had a new outfit on. <laughs> you know, she, she went shopping for me the entire weekend. So you're, you're going to see a lot of new clothes. Well, tell her when she's done with you, she can head on over to my house. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, okay, so while on the agenda, there were a couple of items of note on public safety. The police are utilizing some grant money to do better traffic enforcement, something that people always uh, want them to do, I in particular. Um, and in particular, they're going to be, you know, working on enforcement of bike lanes. So the police commissioner mentioned using officers from the motorcycle and the bicycle division to do this work. So this is something I've been asking for because when there's a car getting a ticket or blocking the bike lane and there's a cruiser behind it, it can make a dangerous situa yes. situation even worse. So I'm glad they're considering this as an option and I'm interested to see how that works out. Also, our fire safety team is getting something called laryngoscopes. That was um, hard to say. I know. I was like yellow leather, laryngoscopes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so where was I? For the rescue teams, oh, right? Oh, right, right, for our, our rescue teams. So these are handheld scopes to place into someone's throat to see if there is an obstruction and where. And it's attached to a computer screen to see what it is, where it is. Um, the most interesting thing about this for me was that these devices will fall under our surveillance ordinance because the computers actually store the data of the inside yeah. of people's throats. Yeah, wild. Wild. So speaking of the surveillance ordinance, we amended it on Monday night to include a ban of face uh, surveillance technology by the city of Cambridge. So we're joining Northampton, Brookline, and Somerville, who've already voted to ban this technology. And, you know, we've seen how China's used this technology to target and oppress a religious minority and how the U.S. cities like Baltimore have used the technology to target protesters. So 
it, it really is a critical step to ensure the safety of our residents and in particular our residents of color, young residents, transgender residents and our immigrant community. Yeah, and so the ACLU has worked with the city council and the police uh, department on this ban, and they they put together a pretty nice memo um, to the city council, which was very informative. But this part really stood out for me, um, which said, Cambridge officials have worked hard to make the city a safe place for all people, including immigrants, people of color, and transgender people. Banning face surveillance extends that progress into the digital future, ensuring Cambridge remains a welcoming and safe place for all. So I was glad that that amendment was passed and we'll ban this technology and keep our residents safe. Absolutely. There's also a policy order by Councilor Zondervan to extend the tree protection ordinance and moratorium until December 31st, 2020, as it's almost up, uh, and it expires February 25th. So the policy order would sought to simplify, to simply extend it until the end of the year and allow for the urban forest master uh, plan task force findings to be used to strengthen the current tree protection ordinance, which will is still going to take some time. Uh, so the fear is that if there is a lapse uh, of time between the current moratorium expiration date and the ordinance being updated, we will lose quite a bit of trees. Yeah, so if you all longtime listeners uh, remember that there was quite a bit of public debate last February when we installed this one-year moratorium. <laughs> um, there was a lot, We had a lot of meetings, um, and there was a lot of public comment. But according to the Department of Public Works, since the moratorium has gone into effect, there have been uh, 298 trees in Cambridge that have been removed that were either deemed dead or dangerous out of a possible um, 350 applications. And public tree hearings have been held for a total of 53 shade tree removals. And the condition of those trees uh, varied from poor to good. So, um, yeah, we have a health and environmental uh, committee meeting scheduled for next week about the urban uh, forest master plan. And after some debate on Monday night, we refer the policy order to that committee to allow for members of the public to come and speak about the current moratorium, you know, how, how it is, how it isn't working and where we could, if possible, tweak it until we have a fully updated ordinance ready to pass. We've both we've had situations where we've had residents tell us their stories of how this has impacted them. And it's important to have uh, those stories as part of the public record so we can make informed decisions. Yeah, so there was a there was a case where there was two neighbors and one wanted to put solar panels on their roof. Yep. And was they were going to share the cost, but they needed to take down the tree, but mm-hmm. they were denied. And so they wanted to put in this energy efficient um, alternative power system, but taking it, it would require taking down the tree, so they were not able to do it. So I, yeah, I think it's important to provide a forum for those types of stories. Absolutely. Um, We also got a report back from the Department of Human Services on the expansion of our summer meals program that we both worked on last year when we brought together Project Bread and Human Services to look at statewide successful programs to increase uh, participation. With the expansion last summer, this past summer, to new places like the Central Square Library and distributing meals uh, in the evening times at movie nights and basketball leagues, our participation rates went up 12%. Project Bread also helped us look at our current practices around offering meat meals and vegetarian meals. We have a number of students who have religious or dietary restrictions that cannot eat meat, um, cannot eat meal, meat or cannot eat meal that isn't halal. So in previous years, Department of Human Services had interpreted a DESI rule. Um, you have to serve the same meal to every student as it had to be exactly the same. So either meat meal or vegetarian. Um, and if you had a restriction and showed up to an open site or a park, on a meat day or were served through your summer camp, you just simply didn't eat. So working with the Department of Elementary and Secondary Ed and Project Bread, we were able to understand that as long as the components of the meal were the same, it was okay to offer a meat and vegetarian offering 
at each site and camp daily, which really helped, I think, um, make sure that every kid was fed and was able to access a meal who showed up for one or was at a summer camp. Absolutely. And sometimes these changes, as you've said, do make a huge difference with students and families. I've been working on a similar situation in Cambridge Public Schools when some uh, Muslim families approached me uh, in the fall and, and said that even though Cambridge offers meals that are culturally appropriate, like chicken biryani, that, that meat is not halal. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Muslim students were, aren't able to eat it. And so the, the families end up packing lunches for them or the kids just don't eat and come home hungry. So brought the families together um, with our food services. And so we're about to announce next week we'll be sourcing halal uh, meat through Mayf- Mayflower poultry uh, to address this issue. So starting February, there will be new menu options. That's and amazing. Yeah, so there should be some um, uh, a letter going home to families uh, next week. But that's awesome. Thank you for working on that. Um, you know I love when you work on food issues. <laughs> yeah, of like course. Inspired by you. <laughs> Um, we were in all actually, you know, speaking of that, we were in an all day training about race and bias. And this reminds me so much of some of the conversations that we had about exclusion, right? How we how we ensure that students and families feel valued and included is that we make sure that we're really thinking about what inclusion looks like. So this is a great example of that. It's not just offering a culturally responsive meal and checking off a box. It's about making sure that the meat is also culturally responsive and the family advocacy with you as the convener. That's exactly why representation matters, right? They right. felt comfortable coming to you um, because you are also Muslim and um, you could really deeply understand this particular issue and and get them get it done. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited and you know we'll have potential to look how to improve it and grow it and, and, and so it, forth. Moultrie, uh, Moultrie. <laughs> okay, May, Mayflower Poultry is actually a local. Yeah, so we already so we're like supporting local. They had a halal food uh, meat option this whole time. See that? <laughs> so it's kind of like a okay, you know, it does. It's like these little things. It's like mm-hmm. the summer meals. We could have been providing right, them. It just right. takes somebody to be like really thinking about what are all those different right. things and bringing people together. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm I'm really glad we've been able to do that. On Tuesday night, we had a school committee budget uh, retreat and. The school department outlined how the budget gets formulated and the formulas for staffing around enrollment. So our district spends, get ready, $29,000 and 478, wait, how do I say that? (laughs) (laughs) $29,000 and 478. Hold on. Wait. $29,478. I was like, what am I missing? What am I missing? It's Friday, guys. Okay. Um, Per student. And last year, the school budget was... $215 $215 million. So that's around one third of the total city budget. And that was 83% from property taxes, 10% from state aid. And from what is, if what's from what's called chapter, uh, chapter 70, and then 6% uh, was grants and meals and 1% uh, was other. And so 70 nine percent of that budget is for staff salaries and benefits. That's it's, a lot. It, it sure is. And so the the school department uh, explained that CPS allocates the budget based on a three-tier system. Tier one, base level one for all schools. Tier two, enrollment based by school. And tier three, the needs of the students in a single school. So higher need categories are students who qualify for free lunch, students on IEPs and English language learners, as well as students with disabilities. So those needs all require more staff. And so one of our, uh, the biggest expenditures in our office is our Office of Student Services with 10% of, uh, of the budget and 30% of the budget is for special education staffing 
and services uh, in and out of the school uh, district uh, who need uh, to be in specialized school environments. Yeah, so there was um, it was a presentation by Claire Spinner yep. and the superintendent to really lay out all of those this percentage, what gets allocated where, why. Um, it was really the retreat was focused around the why of the budget and how it gets put together, right. which was kind of my what I got out of it. Yeah, um, it was a really good presentation. That um, it's a good first step of phase two. Um, another place where I. Th- we spend a lot of money is on transportation. Yeah. So over $10 million each year on buses, which includes um, our school buses, which is $4 million. Transportation to out-of-district placements is $5.4 million. And for our homeless students who are housed in other communities and also foster, ch- foster children, as a district, we spend $300,000 per year on busing these students alone. Um, I think I worked out the math a few years ago, and it's $1,000 per student per month. So if you have um, – oh, Sorry thousand dollars per student per month and then the community that they're coming from share that cost so it's not just a thousand dollars it's a thousand dollars for cambridge and a thousand dollars for the the other community so for example a family of four living in a shelter in dorchester the total cost is eight thousand dollars a month so because it's a thousand dollars per kid yeah and then the other district pays it on the pastures like we could actually house that family yeah it's out I just remember being really outraged that don't quote me because it's been a long time since I've looked at this, but I, I remember just being outraged. Like we could actually, we could pay for a really nice apartment in Cambridge for these families for what we, what we pay to bus, bus them, them yeah. back and get... forth to Dorchester every day. It's really maddening. It's really we maddening. Fix it. <laughs> we should fix it. I mean, we do spend a lot of money uh, busing. Okay. So, but there are other meetings coming up. Yes. Yeah. So we have a budget subcommittee meeting on January 21st at three thirty. Uh, it's a community meeting, and it's to invite input from the public and staff on the the budget priorities. We have another subcommittee meeting on January 25th at 10 a.m. Uh, it's also to get some input on school budget priorities. And then there's another budget retreat for January 28th at 6 p.m. Uh, to review all the input from community meetings. And so there's there's a lot of meetings. So it's a big it's a big process. Yeah. So the first one that's on January 21st is. I think mostly for staff yeah. to come. So when I was working f- for uh, then Mayor David mm-hmm. Marr, we, I was like, how does the staff not have an opportunity to come and talk about their priorities? Like right. we, pro- we offered two different evenings where parents could come and talk about their priorities, but we never let the staff come. Right. So from then on, we, you know, we, we, we started that program where there yep. was always one meeting um, for staff because I think otherwise then you get parents coming in to advocate for staff and I don't think it's as powerful. Um, so everybody come to those. I look forward to all of them. Um, last night we had a couple of meetings. The first one I went to, which was at Just a Start, which was with the city council and introducing them to Just a Start yep. and all the different programs. And I just wanted to shout out that um, it was a great evening, first of all. Um, thank you for having us just to start. But there's a lot of podcast listeners over at oh. Just to Start. So thank yeah. you guys all for listening. They we have some fans. We had yeah, it was funny. They were saying it's like a really easy way for them to f- find out what's going on here in the city. Great. Yeah. I'm sorry to miss it. Well, you had a, you had other things going on. Other meetings. And then we had the right after that we had a Tobin School community meeting. Yeah, so this is the second community meeting where they presented um, neighbors and um, community members and parents to come and and review um, the drawings and um, different options 
so the first meeting, the first community meeting, we were presented with three different options and the community had a lot to say. There was like over 450 comments um, that have been logged online um, talking about open space, talking about height, talking about massing, talking about um, parking, traffic. Uh, so since then, so that was in November, since then the architects had been reviewing that those comments with city staff and school staff and leadership to try to um, be responsive and redesign the building and, and, and try to figure out how to how to make everyone happy. So they um, did three new designs last night and those were presented and then there was some significant public comment. Um, but it does seem like the city is listening. Yep. Um, and being responsive and that is not the last meeting. No. Um, and so I imagine that they will come back with some it was yeah additional refinements. Absolutely. Um, so if you have not um, previously put in any you know comments, comments. Kate Riley uh, in the de- in the Department of Public Works she's a communications person it's k r i l e y at cambridgema.gov um, you can send your comments to her uh, if you have comments on the the revised uh, designs from last night the earlier the better is what Absolutely. Lisa Peterson said because the earlier you put them in mm-hmm, then the architects mm-hmm. can respond to them so and yeah it was a good presentation and i think uh, we've already responded to some things as you've said and the commenters appreciate it we were there from i think the meeting started at 6 30 and it went to 9 30 mm-hmm. uh, i was supposed to go till 8 30 but mm-hmm. there were a lot of questions and, and and good feedback so stay tuned and we'll stare, share some stuff on that as well so, so what's up it's friday what's it's up cold. for the, the <laughs> freezing cold weekend there's a lot up uh, so Robin D'Angelo is the author of White Fragility. We'll be here in Cambridge tomorrow uh, at 1 p.m. at Kresge. Is it Kresge? Kresge. Kresge Auditorium at MIT. And so the event is sold out and it will be live streamed, but not recorded. So I know I was bummed. It's not going to be recorded. I know, I know. So you can log on at 1 p.m. at web.mit.edu slash webcast slash lib slash 2003 slash dot uh, no the dot's not a thing okay the dot's not a thing mm-hmm. yeah if you got tickets that's a period <laughs> it's a period <laughs> i was like why is this dot dig in here <laughs> if you got if you have tickets and now can't go please email anna barrios at the library at a barrios b-a-r-r-o-s at cambridge ma.gov yeah so they're really trying to figure out how many people are actually coming, coming. Um, Because there is a huge wait list. So if you can't go, please um, email Anna. Uh, Also, this coming Monday for the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, it's the 10th annual MLK Day of Service and will be happening in several locations in Central Square from 2 to 5 p.m. You can register online at um, manyhelpinghands365.org or on the day itself at Cambridge City Hall at um, 795 Massachusetts Avenue uh, at 2 o'clock. So thousands of residents will gather to make blankets and scarves for homeless residents, val- valentines uh, for elderly residents, activity kits for children who visit Cambridge emergency rooms, personal care kits for teens and adults who are staying in shelter, non-perishable food item collection for our food pantry network, and so much more. Come and serve on Monday and give back to those in our community who are vulnerable. It's always an amazing day. And many thanks to Lori Lander and the Many Helping Hands team that puts this event together. Um, it's, you know, it's a one-day event for us. It's three hours. But for their team, it's literally a month-long planning, um, distributing. It It's quite an effort. If you've been to Lori Lander's house, 
<laughs> in in January. It's uh, shout out to her family for, for dealing real. for, for real. dealing with all so that stuff. We'll be there. Uh, the program starts at two. I'll be giving like a minute like introduction to everyone. Because it's so cold. It's going to be so cold. So I'll just be very quick, quick and then I have to read some expert ex- excerpt from something I was required to do. So I should get ready for Monday. Oh, and then we have the MLK brunch too at 11. Yeah. And Ayana's going to be there. Ayana's oh my God, I have to speak speaking. at that too. <laughs> this is my life now. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. Oh gosh. <laughs> just talking. Yeah. Um, the one thing I'll say is if anyone's <laughs> around this weekend in Graffiti Alley and Central Square, we um, the Central Square bid had a muralist put together yes. a beautiful mural of... Um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I saw a time-lapse video. It's very cool. Um, so definitely stop by, take pictures, um, and just appreciate uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s work this weekend and celebrate. And um, take the spirit and... Yeah. Just enjoy. Move, move it on into your life. Yeah. All right, everyone. So have a great weekend. Stay warm. Stay warm. Come tomorrow to the white... Fragility book talk, or d- like just, just log watch on it. your house in your pajamas. <laughs> yes, uh, and and if you so the, a number of our colleagues on Monday night said that they were actually reading the book. Yes, and they were loving it. So, you know, if you don't, if you don't, if you can't be here for, you know, you're not going to the event, you can't live stream it. Definitely pick up the book. It is something that you know. I think all of us should be reading. All of us white people. Not you. <laughs> All of the white people should be reading it um, to really think about what um, what our what we responsibility is at this point. Yeah, absolutely. So have a great weekend, and we'll see you soon. See you soon. Bye. Thanks. Bye.